It's Swedenborg Live, spiritual business. Don't get into my spiritual business. We're going to talk a little bit about, if you guys bring it up, you know, how, how can those two worlds intersect, can they? And to discuss that and whatever else is on everybody's mind, uh, we've got an awesome panel of excellent minds and hearts here with us. What's going on, everyone? Hi, this is Karen Childs, community manager and writer at Off the Left Eye, and so glad to be here and thinking of you all out there with love. Hi, I'm Cara, Latin consultant and uh, a responder extraordinaire. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm uh, Chelsea Odner, and uh, I'm a writer for Off the Left Eye Stuff. Great to be here. All right. So this is how you do it if you've never we have, it's been a while since it's been about 45 weeks since we did one of these maybe three <laughs> this three weeks since we did one of these um if you all don't remember you're in the chat right now if you're watching live write down a question what's on your mind uh, and we'll get to them priority given to ones that intersect with our spiritual topic here and uh, but you know put, put what's on your heart there uh and while we're doing that um you guys can help make this show possible. We're not for profit. So the only way we can do this stuff is through donations. And every week we play a little game called 15 extra minutes. So if you guys hit the threshold for donations during this show, we we'll give you 15 extra minutes of Q&A, which is a little thank you from us to you. Today's magic number is 59. If we can raise $59 this hour, we'll give you an extra 15 minutes. And that's in honor of our opening thought for the day, which is from heaven and hell, 59. And that reads, it is a secret not yet known in this world that heaven taken in a single all-inclusive grasp reflects a single individual. In heaven though, nothing is better known. Knowing this, knowing particulars and details about it is the hallmark of intelli angelic intelligence there, intelligence there. Um, you know, if you're trying to put those words together in some catchy millennial way. Um, and that ties in because if you saw our episode on Monday, we focused on a business that was running their company based on this idea that all these people working together should function like a human body, just like heaven is a brilliant bunch of people working together for the common good. So that connects us in. Uh, we're looking forward to getting your questions. Oh yeah, if you wanna donate and help us reach that threshold, off to leftiecom slash donate, we'll get you there. Um, before we answer, your questions as we gear up. Let's see um, what you all said in answer to our question. This is the community poll question of the week. Um, and it goes like this. So think about this for yourself, uh, if you haven't already answered. How has spirituality affected your approach to work? Can these two things affect each other? So Karin, what did our audience have to say when put on the spot with this? Here are a few of the um awesome answers that came in. Very inspiring. First one, if there's a problem with someone else at work, I first try to pull myself in their shoes and try to work it out from there. This includes reminding myself that they are equally precious in God's sight, even if disagreeing with them is part of what is happening. This is an ideal I don't always live up to. Wow, it's awesome. Challenging, but so good. Heaven is a kingdom of uses. I feel best when I am working for the well-being of others. Wonderful. My spiritual experience almost explicitly told me to try to pursue something more creative than what I was doing. I still have to figure out how to really make that work, though. 
right now I am kind of in a compromised situation with a less demanding job that allows me to be at least a bit creative on the side as an amateur. But at least I already feel happier and more fulfilled. So this was good spiritual advice, if I can call it so. Great. It's, it's a Great. journey, isn't it? I take deep breaths and remember that Jesus did not slap people upside the head when they were acting like fools. He didn't yell at them when they needed to be told off for their actions. Somehow he stayed calm. Yeah, great example there. Whenever I write a research paper or grant, I always pray first, asking for spiritual guidance. And it always calms me down and is much less stressful when I encounter writing blocks. And sometimes new ideas just emerge in my mind vividly. I know that's definitely not from me. I become less goal-oriented based on my own agenda, but open my heart and mind for collaboration with God and use my works to positively influence others. From that, I also experience the sense of usefulness of my work. This all keeps me going on the path prepared and guided by God. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. effort, but opening to inspiration. Your recent show on this topic has driven home changes I am trying to make to get more enjoyment by being a teammate, part of the grand human, and have less of a go, a go it alone mentality. Yeah, it's great. Hey, tie into our, our quote of the show too. Yes. Yes, uh, that team mentality. I think it's allowed me to let go of stress much easier in my personal life. I can separate myself from the situations at work and remember that worrying about the past or the future is pointless because the present moment is all we have. So when I am away from work, I don't think about it. Oh, that's great. Stay present. And finally, it has made me develop a culture and habit of checking first what is the will of God regarding every matter I face in life. I refer to God's word or a dream or vision and do according to God's to the Lord's guidance. Life becomes easier, but understood, misunderstood, but that's nothing. Yeah, just staying open, uh, looking for God's guidance and will in every situation. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate it. That makes me like, hey, let's get to these questions. Let's let's talk more with the, the people. So let's see what our first one is. This is from the cube who asks, it has been said to not harden your hearts. So how do you defend yourself? And, you know, workplace setting as well. How, how do you be assertive without being combative? Uh, it's, a, it's a perennial question and a good one for us to tackle here. Karin, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. Being defensive, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, nonviolent kicking it off. Um, it uh, makes me think of uh, a show we did um, called What uh, something about uh, what did Jesus mean when he said, turn the other cheek? And a, a powerful message in there when you learn the deeper meaning of turn the other cheek is it's not just, doesn't mean just being passive or doing nothing or, you know, getting walked on or, or not um, confronting negativity or evil, but it just means don't respond to negativity with negativity. So like, don't, um, if you're being um, unfairly treated or something, you don't want to um, respond to that with uh, coming from a negative place, a hellish place. You want to try and draw on the power of heaven to do that. And how do you do that? It's hard in the moment. But um, I think what is needed is just to practice. And it would just take practice 
to try and call upon the power of uh, usefulness, basically, like um, what makes sense in in the common good in this situation. So if you are being um, attacked in some way, um, and if we're talking about work in maybe in your workplace, uh, your efforts are being attacked or something, um, there's a there's you can defend yourself without being defensive. This is one thing I try to you know, it can be hard. Where's that line between defensive and defending um, something that has value and should be defended? And I think it just takes practice in trying to not come back from that, from um, an ego driven place, from just like mad at that person because that was personal uh, and um, or, you know, vengeance or trying to slam them back because they slammed you. But what is useful if you have something you're working on and you believe it has value, um, you try to stand up from a place of, um, you know, no, this is worth defending. And I'm going to, I'm going to respond to that attack with, uh, I, I think this has value and you might need help depending on how, you know, what's going on exactly, how you're being attacked. But first to just have confidence in, I, I believe the Lord uh, is bringing some good through this and I want to defend it. So um, just where is it coming from is the first place to start. Nice. I, the only thought that I, that's coming to me to add to that um, is that it makes me think that where it's been said to not harden your hearts, uh, most of the places that I can think of in the Bible where it says that you're specifically not hardening your heart against the Lord, against God's, inflow into yourself. Um, and so we're told we harden our hearts when we shut off that, uh, more heavenly way of thinking and close ourselves into that more egoic perspective, like Karen's talking about, um, that that is sort of hardening your heart. Um, and so to, if you don't harden your heart, then it means you're open to this higher power, to an idea of God, to connecting with truth that, you know, not thinking, you know, it all, but, you know, having that sort of, um, you know, want seeking, seeking to know the Lord. And, and then when you do that, then you might learn, I need to defend myself in this situation. You know, the Lord might reveal to you that there are places in your life where actually uh, there's an importance for you to stand for something or whatever, you know, like, so that's, that's just another way that that, uh, that that phrase plays out for me. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's great uh, to, to sort of hardening the heart against God. Yeah, is, is much different uh, that, that there's a consistency in what God is, you know, this love and wisdom. So you never want to shut yourself off from love and wisdom, regardless of how you're trying to navigate the interpersonal stuff. Kara, yeah, what's going on? I think you have mute. Good Zoom. Um, Mm. <laughs> we're all we're all human we're all human um i'm thinking about just the importance of holding boundaries you know holding healthy boundaries and that an attack um you know that you can hold something between you and the attack that it doesn't let it get through to you and know that whatever's coming at you is something in that other person you know i mean maybe they have a fair criticism or something but it's always valuable to me to consider the other person. Like one of the statements that Karen read today about put, putting yourself in the other person's shoes 
and remembering that that person's a child of God, and then making a, just a clear statement about where you are, where you are, and they end, and you know, um, just uh, believing in your stance, assuming that you think your stance is good, and um, standing firmly there and not being, you know, not the the emotional reaction to getting attacked. That's a pretty good impression of me. You just did. <laughs> Yeah. Um, people may think, oh, if you're spiritual, you don't fight back. Or if you're spiritual, you never raise your voice. But spirituality is not about external actions. It's about internal states, which I think all three of you alluded to, that what it is to be regenerate and be following what God is looking for is what's what's in your heart what are you trying to do and i think the best tool for examining that comes out of i think it's in true christianity where swedenborg says that you can be exercising a spirit of charity in defending yourself you can even if somebody's attacking you you can even fight back and disarm them and take them to a judge and they're they get thrown into prison right but you're really in the spirit of charity if you would maintain the willingness to befriend that person should they come to their senses? Um, the difference is when you're snapping at somebody because you just want to get even or you're coming from the love of self, you don't care at all what happens to them. You care about evening the score for yourself. When you're coming from charity, you're caring either about that person or about the common good because it could be that you're like, well, this person's a danger, so I've got to stop them because I'm thinking about all those other people that they could harm. So I, I think it's almost like there's no action that would never be permissible from a spiritual person. It's just all about what, what's your intent and that your intent ultimately is open to the Lord and the Lord loves everyone. And, but yet is all there. The reason boundaries exist is because they're the divine design. So there's boundaries, your whole body is got all these physical boundaries in it. We, we've got to keep those intact. So yeah. Okay. Good, good subject cube. Let's, uh, let's do another one. This is from our friend Young at Heart, who asks, what sort of changes did Swedenborg see after the last judgment in the spiritual world, especially in relation to those who continued to follow cruel leaders after they had passed? Ooh, good question. So for anyone who's uninitiated, uh, Swedenborg talks about the last judgment as being this major event in the spiritual world that changed the makeup of that world. And there was this whole negative situation where people were particularly led astray by members of the clergy. And that would be people who had been you know, priests and preachers here on earth and had preached a certain way of life that enthralled people. And then that continues in the afterlife because they're the same people, their followers are the same people. And it could really cause problems if that leader was not leading them to good and true things. So what's up with that? And let's cycle back around to Karen. Yeah, um, from my understanding, what Swedenborg was seeing in the spiritual world, in the world of spirits uh, before the last judgment, so that's where everyone goes um, right after death and it's in between heaven and hell. Um, before the last judgment, it was um, a mess in the fact that, and we all, no, this can happen because we see it on earth too, that there were many people um, that had uh, been convinced of false ideas and false beliefs by leaders that they trusted. And the situation before um, the last judgment what was that a lot of good people could be um, 
completely persuaded by um, false teachers who actually had evil intentions and could be completely captured by the false beliefs. And there wasn't, uh, because the, the falsity and the evil had built up to such an extent in the world of spirits, um, good people didn't have a way to wake up to the, the false ideas or the, or the evil intentions. And they were just really following these uh, false leaders. But the last judgment was a process, a huge process that had been being prepared for, for thousands and thousands of years <laughs> um, in earth time um, that finally came to fruition. And it was just like a exposing, exposing, exposing of the intentions of these false leaders. And the process allowed um, exposure of the intentions um, so that good people who had been caught up in it could now begin to see clearly what was uh, really behind um, these leaders that they had been trusting. And they now could um, gain the ability to see that clearly, to make a choice because if they had goodness in their hearts, they would not want to follow that anymore. And then they could were free to move on to heaven. And after that, so from what Swedenborg describes, since then, now there is um, full ability in the world of spirits for anyone with basic good intentions in their heart to uh, be woken up to that in the afterlife. Like there's no longer an ability in the afterlife for, pe for people with basically good hearts to be just um, long-term captured by false teachers and persuasions. So you might cross over still kind of tangled up in that, but um, now in the world of spirits, since the last judgment, it's a, uh, you know, a relatively much quicker process to be woken up and uh, make those realizations and detach from uh, false agendas or whatever, and move on towards heaven. Just removed some of the blockage, sort of expedited that process. A new, a new, um, a new level of spiritual freedom that you could really just get entrapped before, um, but not so much anymore. And it's a problem. I think about all the cult documentaries I've ever seen about the way that people can be completely captured by something and, and often by someone, and then you lose them. And they start to abandon all the principles they used to hold and all that. So mm -hmm. did you, Karen? Quick add, because I, I realized the last part of the question uh, in relation to those who continued to follow cruel leaders after they had passed. So since the last judgment, anyone who would continue to follow a cruel leader once they get to the afterlife, um, that's because their heart is in it, not because just their head was got mixed up and convinced. So that's the difference. Not confused about what that leader really stands for. You get what they stand for and that's why you like them. It's not that you're buying a false front that they're selling. Yeah, any other uh, thoughts or amendments to that? Let's let's thank Young at Heart for that good question. Uh, a very astute Swedenborg uh, literate question. And let's move on. <laughs> hey, but before we do, I don't think we have any donations. How are we ever gonna get to our $59 goal and give you guys an extra 15 minutes? Go to optoleptie.com slash donate and you will be making programming like this possible. Thank you everyone for your generous support ongoing and in the past, but we're still here doing stuff. The mission still exists, so we're gonna need your support. So optoleptie.com 
slash donate. Next question, Aaron Mughal, Mughal asks, did Swedenborg have his experiences in the awakened state, halfway to sleep state, or in a deep sleep state? So where, where, where in, in what manner was Swedenborg having these experiences? Chelsea. Um, yeah, so all of those states were pretty much fair game um, for his experiences. And early on in his spiritual awakening, it was mostly um, in through his dreams that he be started to have, he started to pay a lot of attention to his dreams and felt like they were sort of spiritual messages, like had symbolism in them that he could think about and it connected with his relationship to God and stuff like that. So he did a lot of reflecting on his dreams. Um, but then there was a point at which they started to, it started to be something that he would experience in his waking life. Um, and, uh, and even in that halfway hypnagogic state uh, between waking and sleep, and, and even in the deep sleep state, he has a number of numbers where he'll say, I was asleep. And when I woke up, I found out that there was something, something. He learns from the angels that there was all this activity going on that maybe centered around him being asleep or somebody was trying to attack him and angels were defending him. And so uh, I don't know if at those times he's dreaming of something else while that's happening. Sometimes he is, I think, but other times it sounds like he's maybe in a deep sleep state and then he wakes up and finds out, learns that there was all this spiritual activity going on. Um, so all the time. <laughs> yeah, and this awesome level of records kept of experiences in all the states. I'm thinking of his journal of dreams, which is like this early spiritual experience stuff, but that very, very much delves into his dream life. And that pops up in other places too, like you're saying, but then he has these experiences written down about his sort of waking state experiences, but he'll often talk a lot about after first light. So you can not only does he have them in all three, but you can go in there and parse out the differences and the kinds of experiences he has in each. So um, Aaron, it's, it's all there for you. If, if you want to delve into that, a really cool record. All right. Shall we move on? This is going to be Matthew Bush who's asking us, should I be worried if I find myself doing something bad in a dream that I have long since conquered or would never do consciously? Are, are we, can we get in trouble for the stuff we did? I was, isn't that, I was asleep. Isn't that a good defense? Chelsea, yeah. Oh, I just, I love this question uh, because I've been there myself many times. And what I've come to learn is I love that we have our dreams because it seems like this way that the Lord has orchestrated it so that we can get spiritual um, support. Like he, he describes that it's actually his example of being connected with uh, spiritual communities that have their origin on some other planet than earth. So it's maybe a long shot if that's super Ooh. weird. If you haven't heard that before, but, um, no, but no, it's not weird. It's cool. Yeah, so there's this, uh, he describes having um, that in other arenas, there are human communities where they have enough of an open communication with heaven that when they start to go off track in their life, angels or spirits admonish them and help get them back on track. Um, we don't have that kind of open communication in our world, you know, it's, or if it is, it's super rare, um, but we have our dreams. And I think 
the Lord through heaven leverages that so that uh, anytime something like that happens, it's just a little bit of a nudge of like, you know, we're taking care of this. You know, you're not doing this in your waking life. It's maybe, you know, Swedenborg says, even when we conquer evils, they never fully go away. They get pushed to the periphery. They get sort of made dormant in our life um, through our spiritual growth. But so if they, because it's always a, you know, it's a continual choice to be, and, and the Lord guards us so that we can keep our um, choices, you know, intentional through our lives and be in a new spiritual state. But that when those things resurface again, uh, you know, that evil or whatever it is might still be there, but it's this opportunity to be like, oh yeah, this is, that's not what I want in my life. And thank goodness it's just happening in my dreams. <laughs> you know, that helps. It's that way of, of reaffirming past choices without it needing to, uh, you know, happen in, in waking life, which would have more spiritual re repercussions for us. So. Yeah. Sort of like a simu simulation or it can, it can accomplish things without the baggage and risk and all that. That's great. Karin. Yeah, I really agree with that. And that's what I was thinking that to dream about something maybe you used to do and then wake up and, and be reaffirmed like, no, I don't want that in my life anymore is a really important part of however it happens, just reaffirming that choice over and over keeps strengthening, strengthening it in our spirits. And so that's how you can think of that. You know, that dream was just uh, reaffirming that for you. And it reminds me that um, Swedenborg describes what are called shatterings or vastations um, in the afterlife as uh, a way that we kind of get our negativity shaken up and, and uh, detached from us. And one of the methods of vastations is dream. Uh, some people just have dreams. They just sleep and they dream stuff, you know, and maybe it's upsetting sort of dreams, but that is um, helping to detach the person from um, behavior or attitudes that they know they don't want anymore. So it's interesting that that can happen in the afterlife as well as in this world that you can have dreams and you wake up and think, like, oh boy, no, <laughs> something like that. And also one other thought is I like to think about how the actions or the scenes going on in our dreams also can symbolize a, a deeper level of that action. And so if I have a dream about some maybe some activity that I would never do in a physical way, it can sometimes make me reflect like, is there some sort of deeper way that maybe that was coming up for me? Because Swedenborg talks about the, for instance, the 10 commandments, you know, the things that we need to avoid. Um, there's just sort of deeper and deeper ways that those things can pop up in our lives. And sometimes uh, just a scene about some, <laughs> some activity that I know is wrong can make me reflect like, was there any way I was kind of, you know, delving into uh, something negative and not really realizing it. And is that just sort of alerting me to it? So it's just another possibility. But uh, yeah, dreams are just such fascinating um, tools for just all sorts of reflection. Um, and yeah, I'd say ask the Lord <laughs> to um, inspire you with some thoughts about what, what might that be about or telling me. But no, it doesn't mean that you are going to go back to that behavior that you know you don't want to do like Chelsea was saying it could be just helping you reaffirm that and strengthen yourself in that yeah looking at how Maddie started that question should I be worried no I don't think so generally we're not supposed to be worried 
I mean, that's that's like what God is always saying. Don't worry, don't worry. And hell is always like, oh, you're, this is going to, you're in trouble. This is bad. No, you don't need to be worried about it. And there's so many, as everyone was mentioning, there's so many reasons why things occur in dreams. And I don't think, yeah, I think Joseph was mentioning, you're under the same free choice, moral implication conditions, which is too bad because I had a dream last night where there was like an, sort of like an opportunity for one of my foibles was there. And I just like walked right on by and I was like, yes, I'm doing really great. But I don't think that means that, I, and who knows what it means. I mean, Swedenborg had these dreams where, you know, he, there's some kind of immoral thing is there and it's really a commentary on some other part of his life or it's the reflection of the spirits. So no, don't worry about it. But yeah, Cara, I, I'd love to hear what you're thinking. Uh, well, uh, you guys all covered most of it, but the, your thing about not worrying. No, we're, we're not meant to worry. My favorite piece of the Bible is a tiny couple of words out of one of the Psalms. I always forget which. Fret not, it only causes harm. <laughs> so there's a don't worry mantra for you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, let's leave it with that. That's great. Hey, thank you so much. We got an anonymous donation uh that just so and that was 25 so we were getting closer to our goal and as i was saying that i looked down and i see that joel made a donation as well we are now at 125 so we are way past our 59 our goal thank you so much thank you, you. Uh, now we're gonna do a 15 minute ex after party as we should start calling it from this moment <laughs> on uh where we'll answer more questions and let's get to one more here uh, before we do our raffle drawing for new donors last month, which is going to be exciting. Um, this is from Jet. You know, I like this question. Who asks, do you think there is some danger in working with spiritual energy like energetic healing? Or does it depend on how your heart is oriented? And I want to start because I love energy work. And I'll tell you like how I, how I first found out about it. I used to have a show on the little rinky dink FM radio station at the college that I was at the university I was going to. And there was a show before me that interviewed guests. And there was a guest on that show that was an energy worker. And in like sort of the lounge while they were playing a song or something, I was there with that. I was, I think I knew the, the other DJ and she was like, Hey, do you want to come in? you know, during this interview. It's so, like, I think it was on the air. She did this like energy thing where she held both the front and back of my head or told me to do that to myself or something. I just remember right away, like, this feels great. I love this. And so since then I've like, I gotten energy work and it just seems like good. I, I think there's, there can be this like, oh, is it a cult or something? But I, I don't like any more so than like, well, is it good to to do intermittent fasting or something like I don't think there's there can be this sort of Christian sensibility of anything that seems new age is not good but I just want to start by saying it's been cool for me so yeah uh Karen I would say yes the last part of the question uh, does it depend on how your heart is oriented I think that's just from what I understand from Swedenborg that is the general rule for everything done on this earth that if your heart is coming from a place of wanting to help and heal others, then heaven is involved. And it would just be if there's negative uh, agendas there that maybe there could be problems. But I think, I think it's the way of the future. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a golden age in the future for the human race, according to Swedenborg and many others. And um, I think 
those kinds of healing methods will be a part of that, <laughs> very spiritually oriented. Awesome. That's great. And I, um, I had, so in a, in a sort of former life, and I don't mean actually former life in a reincarnation sense, but just earlier on in my life, um, I was a massage therapist and did, you know, was nationally licensed and, or certified. And, um, and through that experience, I did a lot of different work with different kinds of modalities. And, and at that time it was like booming, you know, energetic healing and all these different kinds of, um, you know, approaches to it were really sort of trending and um, experiencing that and coming from my Swedenborgian background, it was interesting to think about it and experience it. And uh, just one of the main things related to the question of like, does it depend on how your heart is oriented? And like, yeah, I totally agree is um, I just think humility is so key. Like in the person who is the practitioner, you can have a lot of knowledge and, a you know, have a really strong or like determined position of like wanting to help the per your client or whatever. But there's just this like critical element of humility to not think, you know, exactly how this is going to play out. Um, that, that in my experience, I've found kind of really, you know, is one way or the other, depending on how my experience, where I just feel like this person isn't really tuned into what is actually going on. Like there. So anyway, it's like, you can't exactly, know that I don't really think there's danger, but I just think that that's a element of how, um, you know, how to have that kind of work really align is, is with humility. Humility is, oh, I was just trying to think of a food, an analogous food that you can add to anything. I was going to say like salt or something, but there's very few situations that's bad to add humility for it. And, and Swedenborg saying that that's that's an essential nutrient in regeneration if you don't have that you don't have it so i love the idea of that being a key force there okay cara yeah do you want to uh, weigh in oh just just thinking that um you know swedenborg talks about how one way we can love the lord is to love the neighbor and i just think about the practitioners you know the good-hearted practitioners who are wanting to help people and um I just think that's a, there's a power there that is, um, you know, the Lord is flowing through them and something, some kind of energy. Uh, to me, I feel like I can feel it just from a massage person that I know cares about me and I care about them. I just feel like this, there's something good happening here. And you know that all of Swedenborg's body theology, just how the spiritual world is the correspondences and everything is so tied up in the human form. And so even so much more so than any other religious tradition or spiritual tradition that I know of, like the human form is, is key to everything. So of course there's going to be some way that interacting with it can tap into something heavenly. There's got, I don't I think if anything could figure out how all that stuff works, it would be course, more correspondences. If we can just like, you know, sometimes do some R and D on that, but mm -hmm. okay. Thanks so much for the question, Jet. Appreciate it and the spirit in which it's asked. Um, oh, hey, look at this. We got Brendan, Matthew, St Stephanie, and Ruth just donated. Wow. We're up to $293. We should have set a super higher goal. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. It's good to see you all again. Um, and I just want to say, um, I know that money matters. Like, I know that, that it's hard to just, like, I'm going to, 
get rid of some money. <laughs> but it's it is just such an honor to all of us that you that you feel like, oh, these people will be good stewards of making sure that accomplishes the, the mission of of doing our own kind of healing and, and reaching out to people. So thanks. Well, this is gonna be a great year. We're gonna do this together. Hey, speaking of us thanking people, we're gonna take a quick, quick break before our next question. Uh, where we'll delve back into a little bit of the nature of the dream state uh, and to do a, a raffle for new donors. So we, this is for the month of December. We want to give new donors this amazing piece of off the left eye swag pictured on your screen right now. So who will have their lives permanently changed by this? Um, we want to say thanks. And this these were drawn by our director of development, Tim who's texting it into me. Okay, Keith Hyatt is one of our winners. And Gagon Kanwar is the other of our winners. So they, we will be sending this out to them. Thank you. And if you've donated if for your first time this month, you'll be in a raffle to win something yourself. Thanks, everybody. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about Nana Rosebud, who asks, did Sweetboard write about the place where we go in our dream state? Or is it just pure brain manipulation? I get it. It can be spiritual stuff. It can be teaching. But are we somewhere? Or is it that somebody's just stuck a plug into our head and they're beaming in like you think you're like, is it virtual reality goggles or is it a plane trip? Somebody tell me. Chelsea, do you want to start it off? Well, just an idea that kind of carries on from our last the response to the last question about the place of correspondences and how like grounded in the human body. Um, Swedenborg's theology is or his his experience of what the spiritual world is like uh you know it is so important that we are embodied like that is this essential part of spiritual development that prepares us for our eternal lives in the spiritual world and so I just love you know I was recently thinking about it about how when you dream um you can be in a state and your body is physio physiologically responding to what you're going through in your dream state, even if it's not really happening. You know, if you're running in your dream and then you wake up, your heart rate is up, you know, as if you're out jogging, but you're not out jogging, you're lying in your bed. So, um, so it's so interesting, but it makes sense that, you know, so according to Swedenborg, our mind is in the spiritual world. We have this capability our mind human minds are this interesting technology where we we are rooted in the physical world and existing in the spiritual world at the same time so in our dream states is an example of that where physiologically that's whatever we're going through in our dreams needs this kind of basis so there's brain waves happening there's rem and there's you know physiological responses but uh we are in the spiritual world and um, what that, what that means is, I don't know, kind of anyone's guess because they're like Karn was saying, people in the spiritual world can dream as well. So, but you're in this, a spiritual zone, um, where, where your dreams are happening and can even be observed by spirits. You know, Swedenborg had angels, um, being able to observe what he was dreaming about and then tell him later, oh, you know what that corresponds to? You know, he could have conversations about that. So anyway, those are some initial thoughts. Yeah, so Matthew Bush, just ask the spirits who are watching your dream and then- <laughs> Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. And I was, as you were saying that, Chelsea, I was thinking, yeah, so it's simple. 
you, you're here in your physical body, but you're also already in the spiritual world because of your spirit. And when you're dreaming, you just wake up to where you are in the spiritual world. But then you're right that people in the spiritual world can dream. So where are they? They're not going somewhere. And there is, there is a difference between, it's not all just simulations. There's a difference between where you really are and where you seem to be. Like, just like here, there's, as I mentioned, virtual reality and then actually going somewhere because Swedenborg even talks about that there's there's some place in the grand human where you really exist, but you can appear in these other places. So there is a difference with all that stuff. Sorry, I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, Chelsea. Oh, well, just that, that you're making me think of, you know, uh, I'm going to blank on the show title right now, but we talk, Swedenborg talks about his word is representations and that in the spiritual world, people can experience these continuous representations that sound sort of like 3D immersive experiences where you know it's not real. It's like a tool for communication or learning or, you know, some experience, um, but it's made up of spiritual substance and then it dissolves, you know, as opposed to things that are of spiritual substance that are there because they're connected to the, you know, hearts and minds mm. of the spirits and angels. Um, and so that seems like a difference, you know, between our dreams. I, so I think we can have that difference in our dreams too. Dreams can be just representations, you know, happening, or they can be real spiritual experiences where we're having interactions with people in the spiritual world. Um, so. Is that advanced technology originates in heaven? Is that the episode? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Who, who else? Karin, did you want to say something? Uh, no, you covered it. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm trying to remember, like, oh, did somebody indicate, we have a secret code where people indicate that they have something <laughs> they want to say. And when I start actually thinking about what we're talking about, I kind of lose track of who's indicating. Okay, uh, let's stay on dreams. And this this proves that we're letting you guys drive the conversation because we came in here sort of like, we're talking about business. And here we are, question after question about dreams, because I guess dreams are really fun to talk about and really mysterious. This is Pete and Kim, 2005, asks, I've been having dreams of my ex-husband. He's still alive. They are so vivid, like we are playing out different lives in different dimensions. Would that be possible? So what's the answer? I mean, I gotta, are we going to be able to know that? Can we apply any of these principles we've been uncovering in these other discussions around dreams to that? What are we going to do, Karin? Um, my first thought is um, I myself wouldn't see it so much as playing out different lives in different dimensions, but I would see it as um, processing. It could be, um, yeah, processing things about your relationship with him, but it can also be, um, Swedenborg wrote that our dream scenes and the characters in them can represent different things about ourselves and it actually can have nothing to do with the person that appears in the dream. Sometimes, for instance, he gives an example of, he had a dream about that one of the characters in his dream was a man that he just ha happened to know was very a superficial character. I mean, like he, the, this man was very interested in superficial things. And so Swedenborg didn't see the dream as about that person actually, but that person was just representing the concept of superficialness in the dream. And it was it was a dream um, in which Swedenborg was learning things about uh, 
superficiality or whatever. Um, so it's possible that when people that we know appear in our dreams, um, I like to think about when that happens to me, like, what does that person represent to me? And, you know, if it, it, it could have to do something with my actual relationship with that person, but it also could have nothing to do with that person. It could have to do with that. That person's playing a certain role in my dream that is representing something that I am working through in my personal life. So there are some thoughts. It could be uh, um, a character that is representing something to you that is uh, something going on in your life right now. It comes back to Matthew Bush's comment. Should I be worried? Because if I'm looking at Pete and Kim, because um, there's a couple, if, if I was them, having those dreams, there's a couple of ways this could be striking me, right? It could be that, you know, this is my ex-husband and, and I don't want him around anymore. And this is like, why are we, why is he continually in my dreams? And so does that mean that I'm actually still connected to him when I don't want it? So you could be worried about that. In that case, it could well be that, no, this is just sorting out an issue. Or it could be that I, I still want a relationship with this person. And is this actually showing that it could restart and I don't, you know, I don't want us to be saying, well, no, it's not really him. And that crushes that. I guess what we're trying to say is like, it's open. Your mind will always try to give you the scariest interpretation of what's happening, but we don't know, but it, it always could be good. Like if you don't, if something's in your dreams, you don't want in your dreams, doesn't mean that thing has to be in your life. If something is in your dreams you want, it could be. So the good news is it's some tool that God is using for something good. And as if it's worrying you, just know that the opposite possibility is certainly true. I feel like that's important to communicate because I don't know exactly what, you know, what uh, you're asking. And I want to make sure that we're not giving you something that's going to lock you into something worrisome that your mind is trying to put on you. So that's something. Anybody else? We're good. Okay, cool. There we go. Let's move on to Riggle Piglet who asks, in natal astrology, the positions of the planets at our birth mirror the themes of our lives and our psychology. But what might such a cosmic clocks of human experience correspond to spiritually? What's the answer? Karin, you know the answer? I don't know the answer. What is it? I don't know the answer, but I'll share some thoughts because I've been fascinated um, sometimes thinking about astrology and not so much the newspaper, like you're going to have a good surprise today or something, but more sort of this bigger picture of um, you're affected by the position of the heavens when you were born. And when I think about that, Swedenborg um, learned that stars correspond to heavenly societies. That's one of the things that um, stars correspond to. And in the world of spirits in the afterlife, People can actually look up and they're seeing communities of heavenly angels and they look like stars in the sky. And that makes me think about, um, I wonder if there is a correspondence to the way the stars were positioned when you were born. Is that corresponding to something or is there something to it that um, uh, the, en the energy that came from God to create you <laughs> came through certain societies of angels and gives you a connection to certain communities of angels. Um, and also the particular challenges that come um, with getting there, getting to the, uh, 
the fulfillment of that potential that was born into you. Because of course, astrology also has built into it um, the challenges that are um, a part of your life. So it's fascinating to me to think about it that way of the correspondence possibly of uh, the spiritual connections that have been there since you started out <laughs> at, at your birth. Yeah, well, I love to think about there. <laughs> huh? I was Maybe just saying I love that. I just love that idea. It's so great. Yeah. Well, it's very satisfying. I haven't done much of any looking at astrology, but, but I know that there's quite a lot of people in, interested in it. And to me, it feels like, well, there's got to be something there. I mean, how, how are so many people finding this to mean something? Yeah. So I very much like the idea that, oh, what Swedenborg does is give a possible mechanism. Because I could see if I was purely materialistic in my thinking, I would say, like, by what mechanism would Jupiter exert an influence on you? Gravity? Like, how would that ever? But if you're saying that the entire physical world is responsive to the entire spiritual world. So all this stuff that's going on, even in outer space and all that somehow is responsive to the spiritual world, which is much more closely interconnected, like Karen was describing. Yeah, man. And that makes me wonder, like, you know, does the conditions of the atmosphere, you know, the day you're born, how, how much, okay, forget it. It's a can of worms. We don't need to go there. All right. I agree. A can of worms. It's so fun to think about though. And what comes to mind right now is the thought that, um, the holy city, New Jerusalem, has 12 gates, and there are 12 zodiac signs, are there not? Okay, so uh, the 12 gates mean that people of all kinds of all kinds of different combinations of goodness and truth can get into that holy city. And it just, I don't know, I just struck me like, okay, you start out in one set of 12 gates, uh, meaning the zodiac signs that are a specific combination of something and you end up with another 12 situation where um, your particular set of good and truth get you through that gate, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's just a cool thing to think of the beginning and the end of it. It is cool. And, and that makes me think of how much, um, I guess I want to say ancient, cultures around the world were interested in the position of objects in space. And Swedenborg over and over says that there was this widespread knowledge of correspondences back in the day. And there's every, every like documentary you see about, well, this building was built so that on the day of the solstice, the sun would cast its light in through this window, which is the position of the earth and the sun. There was tons of interest in that, even if it wasn't all fitting into the current zodiac like astrology school of thought. People were interested in that. And does that mean, and people used to be more connected to heaven and, and be able to converse with angels. It wasn't theoretical as their life after death for those people. So is that part of why? Were they knowing how to read the physical world? And then if we do open that can of worms, the, the, the reverence people had for nature and they're taking certain animals as certain own um, omen or totem or something is that really just them having a bit more being more tapped into correspondences and understanding how to read the language of the spiritual world not always as Swedenborg says that that language that knowledge was lost and kind of got falsified so not every culture that's ever been knew everything better than we do but at some point they did and is that okay 
that's enough. <laughs> All right, that was great. Uh, that was Wrangle Piglet. Thank you so much. The next one is Peg B, who asks, does Swedenborg talk about bilocation? It said that certain saints have been able to bilocate, be in two different places at the same time. Does he believe or know if that can really happen? Yeah. How many of, listen, how many household chores could I possibly get done at once if I could figure this out? Is that is it worth striving for? Is this we won't talk about anything like that, Karn? Um, I'm not familiar with that term, so I don't know exactly what it means by being in two different places, like physically. Um, physically, I, I'm not aware of Swedenborg saying anything about that, but definitely in terms of the different layers and levels of ourselves, we can absolutely be in two or more places at the same time, meaning um, our Physical bodies can be in one place, but we can be in spirit with somebody across the world from us. Um, and we can be with people who are on different levels of the spiritual world. And Swedenborg was even, has described himself talking with the higher level, the higher level of someone's spirit who was still on earth and having a conversation with them while they were on earth and unaware of the conversation. Swedenborg talks about himself walking along um, physically, but spiritually he is off in some, uh, vision. <laughs> and, um, so in that kind of, um, being in more than one place at the same time, absolutely. Yes. So those are some thoughts. Yeah. I think you didn't mention that sort of there's negative instances of multiple locations, Swedenborg talks about, he says that certain negative spirits make it seem like they're kind of coming from everywhere at once. I think he talks about sirens doing that. And then there's the principle I mentioned earlier about you have your location and then where you appear, which all sort of have shades of that by location in it. Uh, yeah. So any other thoughts, Chelsea? Yeah, just like basically building off what Karen was saying that the, the way the spiritual world works is that there's no time and space. There's the appearance of time and space, but that um, it's really uh, thought and intention that draws people together or brings each other to mind. And so that is just, that is the way our minds work right now as they're connected to the spiritual world. Um, and, uh, and so I wonder if any story of, saints being able to bilocate if it is that you know somebody has a, a vision of somebody over here and somebody has a vision of them over there and that you know yeah totally makes sense um in the spiritual world and i think about swedenborg having um yeah like like you're saying he's talking to spirits who are in a lot of different locations in the spiritual world he's not limited to like well i'm only talking to the people in this zone right now so i can't talk to these other people he'll often be having, he's aware of the angels who are, you know, informing him of things and he's interacting with spirits and those people would be in different parts of the spiritual world, but they all can kind of come together um, in through spiritual, you know, telepathy essentially or something. So. Well, it's just like scrolling the Twitter feed, people all around the world, say, if people believe in different things, they're all just, so we're approaching that maybe. Hey, before we get to Kara, because I want to hear her thoughts, 
Thanks, Sharon. Sharon made a contribution. We now raise $318. Basically like a bajillion, jillion dollars. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Uh, that We really appreciate your, your um, doing this project with us. Cara, mm -hmm. what do you think about uh, bilocation? Well, now that I'm looking at the question again, it I guess maybe she's talking about that the saints, when they were alive in this world, were able to bilocate. My first um, response to the question was along the lines of the show that Curtis recently did about the angel Gabriel and you know the angels that, that Swedenborg says, those angels really represent an entire community of spirits in the other world who share the same um, passions and uh, <clears throat> loves for helping people or spreading the truth or whatever it is. So that could be another way to look at it if you're talking about when the saints are already on the other side, um, that there could be members of that angelic, like uh, Gabriel-ish community that would do the work of Gabriel. Awesome. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling Gabriel-ish today. <laughs> That's great. Good. What a, what a cool buffet of answers to this question. And that's always how it is. It's, well, I don't know if we can say he says this exact thing happened, but look at all these similar things that may have inspired those beliefs and that kind of thing. Wow, we're getting close. I'm just going to call it now. We're in our bonus session, even though it's only uh, 3.57 instead of four o'clock Eastern time. So thanks to all of you who contributed. You've made this possible because by the time this question ends, I bet we'll be in there. This is from Tracy Canada, who asks, according to Swedenborg, this is a great one. No one can, they're all great. No one can be compelled to believe, but isn't that what happens in near-death experiences? Mm. Their experience compels them to believe after the experience. Interesting. Karen? Um. It seems like that's universal, but I would argue that actually it isn't. That I think, Curtis, you have mentioned hearing somebody um, talk who had had an NDE, but she was atheist, and afterwards she explained it away. As, oh, yeah. As I, I watched a, the YouTube video when I was early on YouTube, when I was left, I was just starting. It was, uh, oh, no, it was somewhere. What do I care where it was? It was, it was somebody who was is now I think it was an atheist minister like in the church of atheist, like this organization. And she was saying, I had this new death experience and my brother was telling me something and something, but it was just my neurons firing when I was dying. And I talked to somebody else, just a real person in real life who had had this really big impactful near death experience. And I, and he was just like wondering out loud, was that really real or was it just, you know, and this was years and years and years after it's happened. Yeah, I, I was going to continue that I've heard many stories of people who have serious doubts afterwards, like they were very emotionally impacted, but they go through periods of serious doubt, like, was that real? Was I just making it up? So I don't think it does compel belief. It's like most everything else. I mean, it's a very intense experience, but um, it doesn't guarantee that now you're convinced of everything. There's still things to process through. And I think many people who have had near-death experiences, they have that and it is life-changing for most, but there is a process. They have to um, absorb it and really make it their own and make their own decision about, yeah, I, I do believe that, <laughs> you know, like there's still a free will choice to um, believe in it even after it's happened. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, the one thing that's coming to my mind about it is that Swedenborg himself was given the opportunity to doubt all of his experiences, um, especially early on in his, in the spiritual awakening, even after he was having open communication with spirits, there's this time, um, we talk about it in one of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcasts where he uh, had this one month when he was traveling by ship from England to Sweden or something like that. And his spiritual communication just went silent for a month. And then it, and he was like, what was this just one really weird year or what's going on? Um, and, and of course, I don't know what it was about him traveling on the boat or what, but it picked up again when he was in um, Sweden and then the rest is history, obviously, but uh, he writes down in his own journal, if it weren't like, I could have thought it was all just made up in my mind, you know, and I, uh, and so, you know, even in his own experience, there's that opportunity that you would think something as compelling as a year long near death experience would go, sort of put away the doubts, but even just a month of shaking things up was enough for him to be like, well, did it really happen? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, Swedenborg writes about how that's, or that's something he learned is how important, um, you know, doubt is for our development of being able to choose what we believe. Yeah. And how important that is. Yeah. Cara, do you want to um, weigh in on that? Well, then that, that makes me think of, you know, when Swedenborg is talking about you can't be compelled to believe something, it'll give kind of the negative effects of compulsion that it, it sort of get, makes your, it seals in objections and, and evils that are opposed to it. And it um, makes it so your belief is kind of wooden rather than living. It's a superficial belief if you're compelled by miracles to do it. But not all of us have near-death experiences. It's only like a slice of people, even if it's more than you'd think, but only 5%, you know, um, could well be that there are some people who just for whatever reason are in a state where having something really overt like that is okay, because maybe there's a part of their heart that's already lined up with that, even though, you know, your, your Howard Storms talk about how they were dead set against it, but there's so many layers to us that it could be that he was already like on the verge of having this sort of emotional turnaround that made it so he's primed for that and it won't cause those negative effects in him. Uh, yeah, Karen. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I feel like it makes sense to me that divine providence would know that a person is, uh, you know, those people who do seem to have a big turnaround in belief as a result of a near-death experience, there would have been more going on than just that, like something would have been leading them that in that direction. Um, when we did our episode called the throne room of heaven, there's, there's meaning in that this scene in revelation, that's about how whatever event is going to be happening in people's lives collectively or individually. And whenever a big change is coming, there is just a whole lot of preparation that God is working on before the event happens um, to set everything in place. And so a, sudden change of heart would never actually be just in that moment. There would have been a lot leading up to it. And then there's a process afterwards to really absorb it. And so I think, yeah, I think people who have 
uh, had big profound changes and realizations due to a near-death experience that was part of a bigger process that they were going through and that we can all go through in other ways too. Yeah, very well said. So a lot of cool stuff to, to chew on there, but I think, you know, suffice to say, I think it's consistent. I think there's a consistency there, even though people are having these experiences with this idea that compulsion, mass compulsion wouldn't work. Otherwise, we'd already have God doing it. Gloria Vargo is our next contestant. And she asks, <laughs> did Swedenborg ever talk about meeting an enemy in the afterlife? I would imagine negative feelings evaporate on the other side seems silly even so yeah to my enemies probably some of whom are watching right now what's it gonna be like on the other side and uh, yeah how, how much of it is like oh we just didn't have the perspective or the things that you can't just brush off even with a little thing like the death of the body um yeah karen do you want to start us off yeah i think it depends on if it was a more a surface <laughs> conflict or a deeper conflict, because I do think there are a number of more surface irritations that people have between them that would easily fall away once you cross into the afterlife. And you can experience that on earth. Like I know I've experienced, oh, some, you know, troubles in a relationship of a relative or something, but then someone in the family dies and you're all gathering and that doesn't matter anymore. Or, you know, just, it just falls away. It, it was very, it was a surface thing. It wasn't a deeper thing. And there was a deeper love beneath that. However, there can be absolutely deeper, um, <laughs> you know, like anger and vengefulness and things um, that do carry into the afterlife. And Swedenborg, when he was talking about, we mentioned this in our show about forgiveness, the reason it is so important to ourselves spiritually to forgive is because if we refuse to forgive someone, that means we're hanging on to vengefulness and anger towards them. And that crosses over with us. Like if we were refusing to let that go, um, that's going to come with us. And Swedenborg wrote something like, uh, let people beware of, you know, you're really going to suffer from that. It's going to, it's going to cross over with you and you're going to be faced face-to-face, -face, you've actually attached yourself to that person that you think you never want to see again or whatever, because you've been mulling this over and over and over. And so that, that can come back to haunt you in the afterlife. And of course you still have, you know, any person who's trying to basically go in a, a good direction, you're going to have help untangling from that, but you still will have to untangle if you've really attached to an anger or a, you know, a, a problem between you and an enemy. <laughs> so it can cross over. So it is good to do our spiritual work in this life um, to, you know, keep working on that forgiveness and mutual understanding thing and reconciliation and work through your problems with people. Um, it's, it's all going to help you <laughs> in the next life. Um, just move a little faster through your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Cara, I saw, I saw you have a, a reaction. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a show we did called Five Reunions in the Afterlife, if you haven't seen this, Gloria. Um, there's just such a touching story in there about two brothers who were antagonistic and just didn't get along and just a beautiful little healing vignette about them coming to understand where each other were coming from and then the, the anger and the hurt 
disappeared and they loved each other. So uh, yeah, I think healing happens. I, I don't think it just evaporates, but I think it, it can be processed and um, we get through it to a, a new understanding and a new love because love and understanding go together. <laughs> it depends on who you are. I just say, uh, because there's a story of somebody who had murdered somebody else, talk about an enemy, and the murderer was very disturbed by meeting the person they had killed in the afterlife. But the person who had been mm -hmm. murdered didn't have any hatred or animosity. It was just like, well, you know, so, but it was very difficult for the murderer. So it could well be that half of the party has let those feelings go, but because the other one is enmeshed in evil, those feelings stick. Yeah, that's what I was going to touch on too, was this way that I know Swedenborg, he knew he had, there were enemies, that he had enemies, not that he was enemies of them, but then other people chose to be enemies of him, you know, like, so it goes both ways. And he, uh, oh man, I'm getting to plug the podcast left and right in the Inside Off Left Eye <laughs> podcast. There's another episode where we mentioned that he finds out later that there was somebody who, you know, really wanted to stamp down his that you know his um his writings in England getting published and I think that this agitator was on, in the spiritual world was trying to sort of uh intervene from the other side and it was later that Swedenborg found out oh that's who this you know there was this person who was being sort of this antagonist toward my um writings and um and in other case Swedenborg hears of people who sort of are out to get him. Um, and, and in all those cases, it seems like the enemy thing is just about them and their own story. It really has nothing to do with Swedenborg. And so he's not, you know, it doesn't affect him at all. Um, he talks about being, you know, that divine protection, you know, that the Lord uh, is always protecting him from evil and has, you know, we all have that potential as well. And, um, but so the meeting it's Swedenborg might like, come into an awareness of hearing about oh there's this person over here he's the one who did such and such but it's like meh, just like Curtis is saying it's just like not not an issue for Swedenborg it's that person and their own their own story their own spiritual process that that they're going through so there was a, a woman who was in the spiritual world who Swedenborg learned had I think had a thing for him but he hadn't had a thing for her and then after she died she was very bitter at him and he says that he just when he was walking around during his normal life, whenever he'd see a knife, yeah. would feel like he wanted to cut himself with it. And he found out that was her influence on him trying to get, because she was still mad at him, right? I'm not making yep. this up. No, no, I think you're right. Yeah, you're right. So, but but when he describes that experience, he doesn't say, and then I and then I got my revenge. Like, he's just like, oh, that was that. Just yeah. So just like you're saying, oh, so that's what that was. Oh yeah, you're trying to get me to stab myself. <laughs> but, people, but listen, this is more a warning to those of us who just fall into the pleasures of hatred and revenge. That's hard to get rid of. If there's some, if, if you're, if you are enjoying and getting wrapped up in that, it's hard to get rid of. But if, if it really is just misunderstanding or you're, and you're not trying to cultivate it in yourself. Yeah, I would imagine. Swedenborg talks about um, there, there are people you can despise for business reasons. Like I, like the way that you are conducting your business, I despise that you're stopping this trip, but the, in the spiritual world, those very quickly evaporate just in the way that 
that Gloria is talking about in this question. So again, it's a, it's a varied landscape as always. I think we got time for one more. This is from Charles Treadway. And this is, I guess, an expansion a little bit on a topic we brought up before. Why won't God just stick his head out of the clouds just once every five or 10 years to let us know he exists and give us our guidance toward becoming better people? It's a little bit about the near-death experience kind of one. If that's the point of life, it's a little, you're being a little subtle here. Can we get something direct? Karin, what do you think? Um, I would argue that God has stuck his head out of the clouds many times in the history of humanity <laughs> and people pay attention for a little while and then they just go back to not paying attention. So it actually has proven <laughs> to not be uh, long-term effective. <laughs> so, you know, you have the descriptions in uh, the old Testament, for instance, and then Jesus was here on earth and and there have been scriptures in all different cultures just telling people what god is is hoping for you know the the golden rule kind of stuff so it happens and some people listen and then it gets forgotten and people just go on their way i i love the um stories in the old testament book of exodus of the the journey of the israelites and they just see miracle after miracle from, <laughs> uh, from God, from Jehovah and amazed, amazed. And then they just, they just forget and go worship something else and something else. And that is a story of all of us that um, we might think, oh, if only God would just come right in my face and say something, then I would, <laughs> I would believe it and I'd be convinced. But the reality is that doesn't work. And um, God does make appearances all over the place, including in near-death experiences. But the only thing that works in the long run is us deciding from our own free will to choose goodness, to um, trust that uh, there is a God, you know, not from because it appeared, but be because he appeared in some miraculous way, but because it just makes sense, because love makes sense, because order makes sense, you know, over the whole design of the universe and it has to make sense to us and we have to choose it. And um, miraculous appearances don't necessarily achieve that. Um, you know, history has shown it, it doesn't uh, last, but what can last is a free will choice um, towards goodness and what makes sense and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I love uh, your example of the children of Israel and it gets even more extreme in the book of judges right because they're like they're like i'm gonna you know serve the lord something something things happen it goes well and then they forget and then things start going horribly so then they remember the lord and they call out for help and then the lord helps them and they're good for a little while and then they you know forget and they so it's just this constant back like that's the cycle we are always in but every time they realize man things are really rotten they call out for help and the lord helps them um and there's really great, so speaking of that, like calling out for help, um, you know, there often is that sort of make, making a, making a move, like the Lord's there, but he doesn't want to push anything on us. Um, so we kind of have to signal, like, I'm interested, <laughs> I'm open to this, mm -hmm. um, because that, you know, signals that we have it in our, in our heart and intention that we're choosing freely. Um, and 
but even so, I just love it's it's all through some beautiful passages in Swedenborg's works, um, and one little pithy phrase that kind of captures it um, is Swedenborg writes that the Lord does not rest until love takes the lead. Like the the Lord does have agency. He's not just hanging out up in the clouds, like waiting for us to get on the um, you know on the right train. Um, he's actively pursuing engaging us and bringing us into heaven, and that's like that is the only thing that matters. Um, and so that, you know, does not rest until love takes the lead, but it's all through this very careful, um, orchestration where we are getting to choose it freely. Um, you know, and so that's, which works out the best for us in the end. So anyway, I love that, that it's not sort of, you're not alone. It's not this sort of wait for you to happen. If you just start tuning in, there's this energy, there's this power that is wanting to you know, connect with you personally. So, yeah. Yeah. If there's like, if sticking the head out and overtly saying, this is what's going on, be good in this way, was better at getting us to, as Charles was saying, become better people. If that would more effectively make us better people, it happened. God would be doing it. But something about this frustrating, ambiguous existence that we're in is actually a better tool to get us to in that state of there's nobody here but me what what do i really want to choose that's like critical for some for some reason yeah karen i just add that um god sticking his head out of the clouds if we can get a whole different picture of what that means it is actually happening all the time <laughs> i think you know I, I, the clouds in our mind some insight or some impulse to love just comes to us or some idea or some change of direction that is God sticking his head out of the clouds of our mind. And, um, Swedenborg would also say through the, the, through scripture that's represented by clouds and you can be reading and something just hits you, uh, hits your heart. That's God sticking his head out of the clouds. So there's many ways it's happening. It doesn't have to be this, um, overt visual thing or something. <laughs> yeah. And would like to honor for a second. Yeah, it's frustrating. Like this sort of, oh, can't God just do that? I feel that like crazy, but it is what it is now. Hopefully we get to a state where we get more of this. Things are lined up to the point where it's not dangerous for God to just more directly appear to us. And then, yeah, maybe more than every, maybe every five to 10 days, you get some kind of <laughs> really good day. connection. Very true. Right. It could be just in... In the beginning, when humanity was very connected, they were seeing God all the time in a very, very open, tangible, uh, obvious way. So you're right. That could come back eventually. We're, we're not. In the, it's, this is not how it's meant to be. Right. Okay, everybody. That's, we're actually past the end of our time. Thanks so much, everybody, uh, for coming and asking and donating. We had $318 raised from seven donors with three new donors. Wow. You know Thank you. Are. Thank you so much. Um, let's do it. Let's do more. Let's keep doing this. We got Sunday. We got, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. We got our new episode of Inside Off the Left Eye, which is when Swedenborg first spoke to spirits from other planets. And then Monday's show is You Will Find Somewhere you belong so despite all the difficulties of life you're going to end up somewhere that's way way worth it uh hey panel thank you so much for 
you know, you know um, doing this thing. Uh, this was fun. Thank you, everybody. Delight to talk with you. Have a good rest of your week. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for playing along. Yeah, thanks so much. So great to be here. And I love getting to hear people's questions and connect in this way. See y'all again really soon. Thanks for everything.